Hello, how are you? I hope you're having a fantastic day. Thank you for being here. This is the Between Me and Drew podcast with Clara Joyce Flowers. Um, my name is Drew, believe it or not. Crazy concept, right? Um, <laughs> and Clara Joyce Flowers is my specialty cut flower and foliage farm um, that I have the honor of owning and operating in northwestern Illinois with an amazing group of people. Um, and today we're going to be talking about crop planning um, for the season ahead and future seasons ahead, but also kind of how we navigate um, the decision-making process of why we grow what we grow um, and, and and really what factors go into um, making cuts to the production plan, um, etc. Um, so I have this broken down into a few parts. Um, the first is going to be kind of the, the fundamentals of, um, you know, how we are growing based off of the style of the product. The next will be um, breaking down how we're able to justify decisions of uh, making cuts, you know, so if if we're not growing this, we're growing this, or if we're if we're not doing this, we're doing this, and we'll talk about why. And then um, the last part we're going to talk about is um, kind of really understanding who your client is and how that's really one of the most important um, factors when it comes to deciding what you're going to grow and what you're not going to grow, uh, because if you're growing for wedding florists, there's a good chance they're not going to need 4,000 sunflowers every week, stuff like that. Um, So that's kind of the thought process, the plan, the layout for today. Um, We, I'm not sure how long this episode is going to be. I don't think it'll be a full hour, but time will tell. We will jump off that bridge when we get there. Um, So to get us rolling, let's get started. So um, when I look at our crop production plan, um, one of the first things that I really analyze is um, what color is the product? What color do I have coming into production from perennials that we've already planted and invested in? Um, And what holes do I need to fix and fill from a color perspective. Um, Last week we talked about um, how it's so, so important to, you know, have a grasp on or your finger on the pulse of the color industry or that the color of demand, the demand of color within the industry that you sell to. Um, Last week we were talking specifically about the wedding industry and wedding florists and how um, there's two primary color palettes or, or color channels that are really trendy right now. Um, and that's going to be one is your warmer, um, more saturated oranges, corals, peaches, things like that, copper tones. And then the other is your muted. So whites, creams, dusty rose, um, quicksand rose, etc. Um, so those are kind of the two channels that we, we really make sure that we have good coverage on and then we can fill in holes um, from there. Um, so for us, when it comes to annual production, we're really leaning heavy this year into that. There are those two specific palettes, um, really from the beginning of when I started growing flowers, I wasn't growing tons and tons of pink. I wasn't growing tons and tons of yellow or tons and tons of purple because those weren't colors that were 
in demand within the the industries that I was selling to. Um, right out of the gate, we were really focusing on weddings and events. Yes, we sold to grocery for a little bit of time, and that's where we could sneak in, you know, more of those brighter palettes. Um, but when it comes to or came to what I was deciding to grow and what I, what I wasn't deciding to grow, that's really where I was leaning. Um, so for annuals, um, we're leaning very heavy into um, muted zinnias, yes, so whites, creams, soft yellows, uh, but also into the, the brighter um, orange tones. Um, so, you know, things like your, like a, tr- a true orange or the, the salmon rose, uh, binaries, um, that, that is a tremendous, tremendous variety. Um, and you know, zinnias is, zinnias are just one specific type in, in the production plan. There's, there's so many, so many different things that we grow. Um, but when we break down kind of the, the preliminary process is what colors are we missing at at certain points in the season Um, and I know that based off of our wedding calendar what we've got in the production queue um, our later like mid to late season weddings is where the color really comes into play so that's when I need to rely on my dahlias for fall late summer and fall but I have bright weddings before that too so that's where I'm leaning into those zinnias celosia straw flower um, etc um, in the spring, I know that we're still very, you know, in the lighter color palettes. So whites, creams, dusty rose, etc. Um, so I know that I will reliably have peonies in that palette. Um, for soft pinks and blush, I've got uh, Sarah Bernhardt, Shirley Temple, etc. Um, for whites, I've got Duchess de Moore that can lean even a little creamy yellow if you let it open before you use it. And then if for whites, we've got Festivia Maximas, etc. cetera. Um, so that's, that's taken care of. That's reliable. We know that that's not changing um, as far as, you know, those stems being produced. So then we need to look into where, where are the holes for that season of late May into June. Um, and for us, we're going to be leaning into covered space for that. So that's going to be things like unheated ranunculus um, because they're going to be later to flush. Um, We're also going to be looking at um, larkspur grown in an unheated tunnel like a farmer's friend. Um, You know, other perennials that could be coming in at that time would be like an early flush of like a a fama scabiosa. So that's white and a light blue. Um, You know, snaps are going to be coming in at that point from the greenhouses, etc., um, so there are lots of different things that you can factor in, but for that early season, unless you're in a warmer zone, of which we are not, we are 5A, um, we're, we're really leaning heavy into, into structures. Um, and a lot of times in order to have things blooming in structures at that point, um, we're planting either very late, late fall through the winter or very, very early spring. Um, and getting those those plants uh, nested in so that they can get roots established and foliage set before temperatures get super hot. Um, another really tremendous uh, early spring bloomer, if grown in a, a covered space, it doesn't even have to be heated, um, is a mobium or winged everlasting. 
It blooms before straw flower does. You can put it out when it's still very cold. Um, you can plant it in a hoop house unheated um, anytime over the winter as long as your soil is not uh, frozen solid. And it blooms early. It's delightful. It's light and whimsical. Um, super, super big fan of that. So color is always the first hurdle, hurdle that we look at. Um, Amobium is a kind of a great um, transition point to bring up because the next thing we look at is uh, selecting product to grow based on the look um, and, and the style of product that it will turn into. Um, my three primary um, kind of breakouts for this are um, is it a dainty, kind of airy, dancing flower that's going to be floating over the top of an arrangement? Is it something bulky that's going to fill out or bulk out that aesthetic? Or is it a foliage? And then we're doing that for every single season. So spring, early summer, summer, late summer, and fall. Um, those are, those are you know, our, our primary points of, of production. Um, so... Amobium is a great one uh, to bring up for um, late spring, early summer. So late spring, if you're growing it in a uh, covered space, early summer, if it's in the field. Um, for spring, early spring, that's when we're leaning heavy into the different types of ranunculus. So if we need something that's lighter and airier, we're going to be working with either a butterfly ranunculus or a tecalote style ranunculus. Those are going to have either single or semi-double petal structures. Um, if you need something bulkier, that's when you're going to be looking into a romance type ranunculus or an Italian uh, genetic ranunculus. Um, those are traditionally or typically going to give you a larger or denser looking flower. Um, both of those types uh, in those series that are coming uh, are being produced from those lines are fully double and genetically stable flowers. So they're both ranunculus, both um, Romance and the um, Elegance and the Hanoi series, um, all of all of those are going to be your fully double, heavier weight visually, um, your bulkier product. Um, foliage for early spring can be a little tricky. Um, when we were growing foliage for early spring, I was actually kind of riffing off of um, or ripping off um, Bells of Ireland. And um, I talked about this in an, in an earlier episode, I remember. Um, but Bells of Ireland foliage actually holds up quite well um, if you can harvest it not at the peak of day when it's uh, exhausted from heat. So um, Bells of Ireland does tremendous as a fall direct sown crop. You can put it in as long as the ground's not frozen solid. That seed is going to sit dormant over the winter. Um, and then it will germinate and grow early spring. Um, and for us, our, our, our season really, really gets kicked off and going for Mother's Day, um, for cuts anyway. And I know that if we direct sow Bells of Ireland in the fall or early spring, um, we will have something off of that Bells of Ireland to use for that holiday for Mother's Day. If it's a very warm spring, we might actually have the florets being set on the stems. But if we have a cold spring, I know that we're going to have some foliage to use, which is wonderful. Um, we might be cutting that plant all the way down to the ground. 
um, so that, to get that you know 10 to 12 inches that we really need um, but that foliage will hold up it will do the job and it will help flush out um, bouquets regardless of whether it's a wedding bouquet a uh, grocery store bouquet market bouquet whatever um, it will hold up it'll do the job and it will be beautiful for early spring product, for forcing in greenhouses and structures, you can also start to work in snapdragons, uh, different scoops, gabiosas. You know, there are really lots of options um, when it comes to early spring if you do have the ability to grow in a covered space. If you don't have a covered heated space in particular, um, then you're going to just be pushing your season back a little bit, and that's okay. Um, so if we're looking at late spring, early summer, this is when we start to get into uh, peony season. Uh, tulips will usually come in before peonies for us. Um, so we've got tulips and peonies kind of hitting back to back um, in that general timeline. Um, th those are both going to be more of your heavier visually uh, bulkier product. Um, so then from there, you have to ask yourself, okay, what else do I need to add in my production plan to check off the dainty list and then the foliage list? Um, and then expand that out from there. Um, summer, same thing. This is when we start to get into your summer annuals like zinnias, cosmos, uh, or zinnias, celosia. Um, this is usually pre- uh, dahlia season so we're also working in lots of uh lisianthus at this point too those are all going to be considered more of your heavier bulkier pieces um cosmos i kind of swore off for a couple years but they are a tremendously trendy product right now they have so much value um and i really think that people need to start to take Cosmos more seriously. And maybe I'm just talking to myself here because um, I kind of brushed them off for a while. Um, and uh, Cosmos are, are back and, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're here to stay. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk about uh, Cosmos in a little bit more detail uh, in the last part of today's episode. But um, as you're working your way through the seasons, you know, as you're getting into fall, you can start to work in grains and grasses and seed heads for your dainty elements. So river oats, uh, northern sea oats, rather, um, different types of, you know, very readily available commercial grains. So wheats, rye, quinoa, um, sorghum, when, whatever the case is, um, those are all really great textural components that can really be the star of the show or help accompany the show at that later point in the season when you do have dahlias and you've got the last flush of uh, uh, zinnias uh, before the mums come on, etc. Um, so those are really all, all wonderful. Um, foliage for summer and fall, that's really when we're relying on uh, shrub production. So nine bark, smokebush, baptisia, viburnum, um, they're all really just kicking it. Wonderful, wonderful, wonder compo wonderful components at that point in the season. Um, the next part that I'd like take into account or factor in is you are in control here. You know, this you are the one making the decisions um, as far as what you're growing and what your operation is, is producing and selling. So you can grow what you like. Um, I don't like growing flocks on our farm because it's a pain in the ass because we get so hot so quick so i don't grow it people ask for the caramel cherry or the the caramel apple whatever f fancy flocks all the time 
Um, just got a, a florist reaching out last week, wanting to know if we're having if we're doing caramel flux this year. And it's it's not fun for us to grow. It's not enjoyable for us to grow. It's not successful for us to grow. So we don't do it. It just doesn't make sense. I don't like it. Um, so we don't. I I really love growing ranunculus. I love producing dahlias. I love producing celosia. So those are the things that we that we do, and we do it well, and we have a nice variety, a very lovely selection to hit different palettes, um, and that's, you know, what brings us joy. Those are those are products, those are line items that fit well into our production process. Um, and it works. Um, I, when we're making crop selections too, I also factor in, um, you know, how hardy is this? How rugged is this? Is this a crop that has a very short window of harvest? Or is this something that is going to be able to produce and pay for itself over a prolonged period of time? If this is a one-hit wonder crop, then it really, really has to pay for itself in order for me to grow it because I only have one shot to sell it, basically. So when you look at, you know, our Instagram of um, what we're what we're harvesting or if you look at our, our wedding design work and if you really pick those things apart, you will see a lot of what we're growing is coming off of branching type plants where we can harvest off of them for a prolonged period of time. Um, you'll see things that hold up pretty ruggedly, um, doesn't need, you know, constant water source, um, or if it does, we're, we're handling it accordingly. Um, and you're going to see things that I like, I really, truly enjoy growing. Um, one of the other really wonderful crops that I, I find a lot of joy in is straw flower. Um, I love growing straw flower. You can do several successions of it. It holds up beautifully. It has a very long window of harvest. Um, if you've got an immense flush of it, you can harvest it to dry it. You can use it for fall, winter, early spring weddings. You can use it for holiday pieces. You can make dried reeds out of it. You can do whatever. Um, so that was another big push a few years ago was that almost everything on our production plan could be sold as fresh or it could be sold as dry. Um, and that was something that, you know, I, I really stuck with. Um, you know, if, if you know, for some reason the white straw flower isn't moving for this week, the next week, and the week after, and I've got a thousand bunches that needed to be harvested last week, um, we're going to harvest it, get it off the plant, um, and we're going to hang it to dry. And if that's the case, and that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. And it works. And it's fine. Um Outside of those components or those those factors, everything else gets cut. So we don't grow agrostema. We don't grow, I don't even know, a whole bunch of stuff. Here, let me pull up the Johnny site and we'll pick this apart because there's a lot of stuff that we don't grow that other people do. Um, and, and that's okay. Just because someone is growing you know, everything doesn't mean you have to. Um, we, yeah, okay, here we go. We don't grow Ageratum anymore. Um, we do not grow Sweet Annie. It's fucking invasive as hell. Um, 
don't grow calendula. It it was always too short for us. We couldn't sell it. Um, what else? Um, Campanula, that one for us had to be fall planted or very early spring planted, and they just couldn't compete from a dollar perspective of ranunculus. Um, bachelor buttons, never again. They're a pain in the ass to harvest. Um, Crispedia takes too long. So these are all things and factors that you know I've learned over time from trial and error and, and failing and fucking up and doing it again and still fucking it up and then making a decision from there. Um, but you know it's okay. There's there's no reason that just because the seed is available that you have to grow it. That's total line of bullshit that you will probably feed yourself at some point in time. And um, I would suggest that you not do that. So. <laughs> There, there's that. Um, all right, let's move into the next part of uh, this episode. So this is going to kind of break down the justification process of, of cutting something. Um, so in the spring, early spring, we grow ranunculus and snapdragons, but we don't grow anemones. And the reason is, is that our primary clientele base is florists. And our florists, historically... Um, don't need 50 bunches of anemone for a multitude of reasons. Um, But when they do need anemone, it's in smaller quantities and it has to be the right color combo. You know, if they need white with black eye and you say that you have white with the green eye, it doesn't work. Um, If they say they need blue, but you have purple, it doesn't work. Um, so they, it was just a crop that didn't make a lot of sense for us. We ended up throwing the majority of our anemones away. Um, whereas ranunculus, it's a larger, more showy, um, crop. It holds up better, I think. Um, they, they handle transport better. Um, there's usually more than one flower bud on each stem. So it fills out a a look faster. Um, so ranunculus are one of our main crops. Um, snaps, same story too. They're more of a, of an economy, classic flower. Um, they're larger. They take up more space in a, in a design. Um, they're, we grow them on a branching style plant so we can harvest multiple flowers off of each plant. Um, so they, they're easier for us to sell. We have more window of sale, um, and they, they just make more money. So they make sense. Um, another example, we grow lots of peonies, um, and foxglove in this for early summer, but not sweet peas. Um, we don't grow sweet peas because we're a South facing farm. We get hot very, very quickly. Um, taking into account that the plants don't handle heat very well. Um, it just was not a super smart decision. Um, with sweet peas, we also had to factor in costs like the trellis netting. If we're letting them go for a garden style sweet pea, if we're cordoning them and we're, you know, pruning them to a single liter, um, then that's a lot of labor that you need to factor in too. Um, and all of that really added up and made the decision very clear that it just wasn't a great crop for us to continue to grow. Um, so, you know, it's okay if you need to cut something as long as you have another component to take its place. And for sweet peas, the, the replacement was foxglove. Um, with foxglove, yes, you're traditionally using it as a line flower um, because it has all of the open umbels um, and florets on the lower third and two-thirds part of the stem. However, um, the the buds on the top of the stem are very, very beautiful, very dainty, um, and they provide a unique classic look. 
or a unique, not so classic look rather. Um, and that's where sweet peas kind of really come into play from a design aesthetic is they are that dainty fluttery piece. So if you can find something that might not be exactly the same, but comparable, it will work for, for many, many uses. Um, the one trade-off though, is that sweet peas are uberly fragrant. Um, and that, that can be a bit of a, of a struggle to replace. Um, but for us, you know, our, our field grown sweet peas were hitting at the same time that peonies were. So, you know, peonies beautifully fragrant. Um, so it was, it was a trade-off, you know, we, we cut one thing and bulked up on another. Um, you could also kind of break this down into a color specific, uh, situation when it comes to dahlias. Um, so I know that our Dahlia lineup is very focused to the clientele base that we serve, um, and that's predominantly wedding. So lots of neutrals, lots of whites, soft blushes, um, creams, etc. Um, but now that we're getting into more of a saturated palette, especially for Dahlia season, um, we're really bulking up on oranges, bronzes, plums, purples. Um, still not adding in a ton of pink, but we do have some clients who are running, you know, a larger daily operation. Um, and they, they are the ones who can, you know, take a hundred sums of pink at a week. They can take, you know, whatever the case might be, um, that, that they're needing, that they want, etc. Um, so we don't grow highlighter yellow dahlias because, none of our clients are asking for highlighter yellow dahlias. Um, we're not growing gigantic dinner plate purple dahlias because no one's really asking for that. Um, so understanding what you can sell and making color choices and product decisions from that is also important too. Um, the last part that we're going to, that we're going to touch on is, um, two things. Um, we're going to talk about cosmos and then we're going to talk and succession planting and the value of that. And then we're going to talk about, um, client needs, which we kind of briefly touched on just a minute ago with the dahlias. But when it comes to working with people in the wedding industry or larger scale, larger volume retail florists, um, having a reliable product for a prolonged period of time, is very, very, very valuable and beneficial for everyone involved. Um, what I mean by this is, yes, it's very lovely and wonderful and nice if you have a gorgeous flush of, I don't even know what, a one-hit wonder, okay. Um, oh, perfect example, Japanese anemone, they bloom in the fall. They're amazing, they are delightful. They are wonderful, but you don't have them for months at a time. That can be challenging to sell that crop in a large volume over several different clients because they might only be able to take 10 or 20 bunches of it to work into one or two key weddings that they still allowed some budget for situations like this when they arise. Now, take into account... Um, Sunflowers, if you're selling at farmer's markets and grocery stores and larger volume uh, daily florists. Sunflowers can be tremendously valuable if you can have them reliably for the entire summer 
because they will take, you know, a hundred, two hundred, a thousand stems of the same thing every single week because it's reliable. They know it's going to show up. They know it's going to be good. It's going to be fine. It's going to bloom once it's it's used. And it's something that you as the producer can plan on also because that's a very, very easy crop to do on a succession basis. There are many other crops that you can mimic the same succession planting process with and Cosmos are one of them. White Cosmos, um, the soft yellow Bipinatus Cosmos, um, the sulfur yellow and orange Cosmos, all of them can be done on a succession basis. Um, You can direct seed them every 10 days to 14 days um, and you'll have a beautiful flush of Cosmos for the entire season coming in from different plantings at different times. Um, That was one thing that I really wanted to stay ahead of for the 2022 season. It did not happen. um, And it is something that is going to be very important for us for the 2023 season because I can't tell you how many times we got asked for Cosmos when we didn't have them. And even when we did have them, we were we were moving tons. We actually way, way oversold Cosmos for opening week of Cosmos. Um, and that was a problem too. <laughs> but it was one of those like, holy shit moments where, you know, if we had a thousand bunches of white Cosmo, we could have sold a thousand bunches of white Cosmo. Um, it was It was insane. So really valuing that one particular dainty prop crop right now because it's so trendy is very important it's literally everywhere if you look on pinterest there's a really good chance you're going to see a cosmo in some capacity um, when it comes to to wedding work so um, taking you know that into the next part or point which is knowing your clientele base and your clientele needs is also huge um and I feel like a little bit of a broken record here, but if unless you know who you are selling to, it's going to make crop planning a little more difficult because you're shooting into the dark. Um, if you know that you're selling to a florist that produces a wild garden-esque, organic-esque aesthetic, produce product that is in alignment with that. Cosmos are great. Flocks can be great if you can produce it. Co- uh, Foxglove, great. Love it. Um, Snapdragons, the Chantilly and the Madame Butterfly, gorgeous. Love it. They are in perfect alignment with that. Um, you know, maybe don't grow a shitload of the exact same carbon copies in you that everybody else has, okay? Unless that's what your florist or your, your, your you know, avenue of sale can handle. If you're selling to farmer's market, you know, really grow and lean into crops that can hold up for a long period of time. Um, I think the marigold has been overlooked for a very long time domestically, and there is a lot of value in a strong stem of marigold. It holds up tremendously. The foliage holds up. Um, it, It is very, very useful for many different people in many different capacities. Um, so really grasping who you're selling to is very, very important. And if this is your first year and you don't know what the hell you're doing or who the hell you're selling to, that's fine. This is a learning year. You know, it, it takes two, three, four years to really learn and grasp of, get a grasp of what you're good at growing, what you enjoy growing, and what your clients can buy from, or what your clients will buy from you. 
Um, and it's going to take you that long to build that clientele base too, regardless of whether you're going direct to retail, whether you're going direct to wholesaler, whether you're going direct to florist, etc. Um, so you gotta, you know, put in the time to to really learn. Um, we just did a tour a couple days ago, and um, one of the guys on the tour asked, "What do you think sets you apart and has set your business apart from?" some of the other people who are getting into the cut flower industry. And I wasn't quite sure what to say at first, but I I came to the point of, you know, I had the luxury of being able to treat this like my school before I had to make money off of it to survive. Um, and that, I think, is something that not everyone can relate to. Um, but there is a tremendous amount of value in taking those first few years, doing it, fucking it up, doing it again, fucking it up again, and learning along the way. You can pay people hundreds and thousands of dollars to, you know, go to their online workshop or to take their course or to do whatever. And that's great. And there are things that you will learn along the way from doing those things and going through those processes. However, there is nothing that you can do that is going to replace that hands-on learning value, okay? Um, so that's my two, th- two cents there. <laughs> I feel like um, this is nothing that's uh, incredibly new or groundbreaking, but believe it or not, a little reminder every now and then never hurt. So That's today's episode on how we crop plan, uh, make cuts, and and prepare for seasons ahead. Um, I know that this probably wasn't the most exciting episode in the world, and I'm (laughs) I'm sorry for that one. However, um, crop planning is not always glamorous. This is not, you know, the most Instagram-worthy part of our day-to-day life, but it is very, very important because unless we have conversations about um, planning and how we make decisions and about how we learn about what's profitable and what's not profitable, we don't have those glorious moments to share on the internet that give us that sense of, that false sense of gratification, (laughs) et cetera. Um, So that's what I've got for you. Um, If you are not currently, please do follow follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram under Clara Joyce Flowers. We also have a wedding account under Clara Joyce Weddings. You can check out our galleries there. Um, if you have questions, you can feel free to email me. My contact information is in the description on today's episode. On our website, clarajoyceflowers.com, we've got merch, plants, tubers, etc. Um, that we can get shipped out to you. Um, we are in the first part of March, so shipping season will be coming up here in just a few short weeks. And um, also, depending on your streaming platform, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on our podcast um, to be notified when new episodes are published. So that's what I got for today. Next week, we're talking about propagating shrubs, which I am super excited about. Um, I posted a reel about propagating shrubs um, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple days ago now. Time is a blur. Uh, And uh, we've got lots to talk about. So that's what I've got planned. I will see you next week. And uh, we'll go from there. Bye.